morning. Welcome to church. I want to say hello to everybody watching online. So good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. It's week number two in our series that's entitled Different. And it's all about understanding a different kind of different. That's what last week was all about. If you missed that message, I want to encourage you, take a listen to it because it'll help you lead into this one. We're letting Philippians uh, guide us. And so we're in chapter two of Philippians today. And we're going to look at that. Uh, we're going to look at about 16 verses there. We're going to let Paul preach us a sermon today. And uh, we're going to learn from what he has to say because it's so very good. Just want to take a minute and pause on the message and just say, anybody have a hard time finding parking today? Yes. God bless you for getting to church. I mean, a special blessing. We like the idea that the Canucks would come to town, but just not on Sunday. Can I get an amen? So uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for prevailing and finding parking. I'm sure there are people that circled and uh, went to uh, breakfast or went to lunch early. Um, but I want to thank you for making it, coming, and finding your way here. And uh, I just want to also say, as a side note, there's plenty of parking and plenty of room at the 9 o'clock service. And you are welcome to come and join us there. We could use a few more smiling faces and happy worshipers to join us in that service. It's, um, it's a vibrant fun, exciting service that looks just like this one, and uh, there's lots of room for you and your friends. So please consider that. You won't have any parking trouble, okay? All right, enough of the commercial. So uh, jumping back into the message, Philippians chapter 2 is so powerful. If I literally just read it, we could be so moved by it. I mean, you could just let the Holy Spirit speak to you right from that chapter and just be really moved. But I want to kind of let Paul preach his sermon and give you kind of a picture of what I believe God is saying to us in, you know, in this series called Different, because Paul doesn't give any strong rebuke in Philippians. To the Philippian church, he's encouraging. He tells them, keep rejoicing, keep doing what you're doing. He is excited for them. He's optimistic, even though he's in prison. He's optimistic about where they are and what they're doing. And so it's, it's a fantastic book to read and to learn from, but he is helping them understand a different kind of different, different than the world around them. And we looked at that last week a little bit, and we're going to look at it again today. And so what Paul begins to do as he opens up the chapter, he says, listen, church, if you're having a good time, if God's working in your life, if you're experiencing great fellowship, he uses, if, if you're feeling comforted by the Holy Spirit, if, if, you're, if you're feeling encouraged today, if you're feeling a sense of tenderness and compassion among yourselves, he says, listen, then, then just take that a step further. Do something with that, church, he says to them. He says, why don't you push for unity? Why don't you push to be one, the same heart, the same mind, one in spirit, like-minded. He uses these kind of phrases with him. That's your next step. If you're enjoying a great fellowship, if you're enjoying the church of Jesus Christ, if you're in a house full of worship and, and, and there's, there's, there's joy and there's, you know, there's the praise of God and there's the honor of people, then come on, let's take the next step. Let's push for unity. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in these early, early verses. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be kind of the spoiler alert for the whole message, but basically it comes down to this. Humility leads to unity. So friends, in other words, as Paul's going to define for us in the next many verses, there's really only one way for the diversity of God's church. For all the varied people who are here with various opinions and, and various backgrounds and various perspectives to be together and to be united, there's only one way, and that's through humility. 
Humility becomes our pathway to enter into unity. And that's what God has for us. In fact, the next series we're going to be preaching in October is is called United. And it's about the one heart, the one mind, the same spirit vision that God has given us as a house to reach and to go. And we're going to be talking all about what's coming up, what's next, what's been, where we're going, what we're doing now, what we're going to be doing in the future. It's going to be a really exciting series in October. And it's all about unity. It's all about being united because God's given us one heart and one and one voice. But let me just give you uh, one kind of uh, teaser about that. As we start that series in October, we're also at the very same time launching what's next. And what's next for us as a movement is, is the release and support and, and encouragement and you know, uplifting and resourcing of our Ignite community, which has a very strong multicultural, specifically Filipino voice. And we're going to release them as one of our campuses, if you will, one of our locations, one of our communities. So just as we view West Hills, we're going to begin to view Ignite. So we are, this fall, becoming three. We are three communities. We are GT Victoria, we are GT West Hills, and we're also GT Ignite. And this is going to be very, very exciting. We're going to talk more about that this fall. So just thrilled about that. Spent some time with their leaders yesterday and just really excited about what God is doing there. It's a powerful community of hundreds of people already. And so we're just saying, okay, God, you're obviously in this. Let's just bless it and let it run. So we're excited. And there's a a united voice. There's a united vision. And we're standing together. And Pastor Nilo is going to help me with that very first message. It's going to be fun. You're going to like hearing from him. It's going to be very, very exciting. So that's a little bit of, of the piece of it. So I want to talk about humility today. And and as we talk about humility, we kind of remember we're trying to discover a different kind of different. And so when we think about humility, you know, most people in the workplace and and in varied environments really value humility. Humility is something that's, that's highly attractive to people. And the definition that our culture gives to humility is really what it, what you know, we would kind of mostly wrap our minds around. And humility within the context of culture and and for most people, humility means basically this. I want to learn. I will be teachable. And, 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 and that's a really good thing. That's a wonderful place for us to land. Like, I want to be a humble, teachable, willing person who learns. You know, um, employers like employees that want to learn, right? Um, because that helps to on-ramp and upload and, and download all the information and so on. So that's a really good thing. Being teachable is amazing. Being teachable is something I would encourage for your whole life, that you would be a teachable person, because that's really a key to a lot of success in life. But here's the deal. When we think about humility as being teachable or wanting to learn, the desire to learn, we, in some ways, we create a reduction of what the Bible means when it talks about humility. And although this is the most widely known and most widely accepted definition of of humble, is that willing to learn and being teachable, it's a reduction because, you know, our culture, society, and many people would say, be humble, in other words, be teachable, but the motivation of that is my success. I'm going to be teachable because I want to learn so that I can advance. I want to learn so I can develop. I want to, I want to learn so that I can become, 
right? And so the motivation, the underlying motivation of that form of humility is success. But the Bible takes us somewhere else. When, when we begin to dive into what the Bible says about humility, it's interesting. It's not, I want to learn, it's, I will be last. When the Bible speaks about humility, it's about taking that last position. In fact, the motivation is what's different. The motivation is not, I want to succeed. The motivation is, I want to serve. And so when we begin to understand what it is that Paul is teaching us today, he is teaching us how to be humble like a servant. And so I want you to read this with me because actually what we're going to get into is so impactful. It really impacts your individual relationships. It'll impact our corporate thinking as a church. And it'll also impact the way that you view Jesus. Because as I said already, humility leads to unity in all of these areas. So, so come with me now into the Bible. Let's look at verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2, and let's let Paul preach his sermon. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers, consider others better than yourselves. He goes on in verse 4 to say, Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So as Paul begins to help us understand this, he says, listen, you've had fellowship, you've had encouragement. Listen, so now let's, let's take a step. Let me show you what unity looks like. It looks like humility. And so he begins to define it here. He's saying, listen, there's no room for selfishness. There's no room for self-worship. It calls it vain conceit, selfish ambition. Hey, you know what? In humility, it teaches us that others get preference, not us. And he goes on again in that, in that fourth verse to say, listen, there is something you need to learn. If you're going to be humble, there's something you've got to learn. And that's that actually your best interests are wrapped up in the interests of others. And when you begin to discover the interests of others, you actually have your own interests satisfied in the greatest possible manner. Humility leads to unity individually. And so we can see how this would affect your relationships. Listen, do an experiment. Go into a relationship and tell everybody your selfish ambitions. Go ahead and worship yourself. Throw around vain conceit. Tell them how amazing you are and see how much they're drawn to you. Right? You can do the experiment yourself. Obviously, that's not going to work, is it? But if you come in and say, hey, listen, tell me about you. Tell me about what you love. Tell me about what you're interested in. Tell me about what you're passionate about. Aren't you going to see people drawn to that? Aren't people going to find their way to you? You see, you understand now that when you take that humble path, it brings a unity between you and others. And individually, you can have a connection with people if you function with the idea that my interest is you. My interest is wrapped up in your interest. So tell me about your interests. See, so this is just common sense. I mean, you know, when my kids go to the Christian school, it's our neighborhood school, and they, they come home one day and they say, Dad, I, we learned this great thing at school. And I said, oh, tell me about it. He said, yeah. And they put their little, their little cute little hands up and they go, God, others, self. I go, wow, that's fantastic. That's absolutely amazing. God, others, self. What an incredible idea. I love it. I'm going to chew on it, kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to think about it. I think it's awesome. And here's what I realized. That is a wonderful, wonderful way to live life. But it is so much easier to say it than to do it. Isn't it? 
I mean, because how often do we get all this flipped around? How often do we get this inverted? Where, you know, we say like, you know, first of all, hey, there's me. Look at me. And not, not only look at me, but what do you think of me? What do you think of me? What do you think of me? And then all of a sudden, God, what do you got for me? It's so easy to get this all inverted. And so we need a different kind of different, a humility that allows us to walk into life saying truly God, others, self. You see, when I, when I think about what humility really is, is humility is a shift. It's a shift. It's a shift from certain things and to certain things. Let me explain what I mean. Humility is a shift from I exist to be served to I exist to serve others. That's what humility calls for in your life, in my life. It's, it's a shift. It's a shift from my needs, you know, that's what's most important, to my needs are secondary. And, you know, this one's probably the most challenging, I think, for me. It's a shift from God, this is what I need, to God, where do you need me? That's the shift that humility brings into our lives. And so again, let me read to you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not that your interests don't matter, but if you look at your interests in a vacuum, you can't help but be selfish. But your interests become clearer, better, more sanctified, more God-honoring when you consider the interests of others. This is humility. And I cannot preach a sermon without quoting C.S. Lewis about humility because I just think it is so profound and so powerful and it fits so nicely in your pocket. You can take it home today. He says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That is powerful. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking it's not thinking less of yourself, friends. I'm not telling you that you're not a person of value. You have, you have amazing and, 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 and intrinsic value because you're made in God's image. But think about yourself a little less and you'll find humility waiting on the other side. Here's how Paul says it. He says, he says this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's what he says. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's humility. i got to change my attitude to make it more like Jesus' attitude. i got to look less like me and more like him. I've got to work out how it is that I'm going to think a little bit more like Jesus and a, little bit, and a little bit less like me. Because my thinking is sometimes stinking, right? So I need that adjustment. So this is a, this is a really good picture because Christ becomes our example in it, and humility leads to unity, and that happens corporately. So listen, Paul's not now talking to an individual when he says your attitude. He's saying your attitude. He's talking to a body of people. He's talking to a group of people, and he's saying your attitude needs to be that of Christ Jesus, and then he does something extraordinary. If you read this in your own Bible, if you, or if you grab the Bible in front of you, and you open it up to Philippians chapter 2, what you're going to see here is you're going to see that the, the typing in the Bible, the, the, the way that it is printed changes. He's writing along, and then all of a sudden you get to this next section, verses 6 to 11, and it's written like a piece of poetry. And you know, this has led... Uh, many, many scholars to believe that that section is actually Paul quoting an ancient hymn that the church was singing at the time. 
He was telling them, listen, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? He was singing to them. He was sharing with them something they already knew. He was saying, your attitude needs to be the same as Christ. And you know what? It's just like that song you sing. And so I want you to look at it now with me. It's something that would have been familiar to them. And in fact, for many of us who are followers of Jesus, this next section has become familiar to us. But the reason why it's become familiar is because of what it says. It says in verse 6, who being in very nature, talking about God, uh, Jesus and his attitude, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now this phrase, to be grasped, actually means in the original language, not to be used to his own advantage. So I want you to see this. Jesus didn't use his deity to his own advantage against you and me. He was in very nature God, but he didn't use that to his advantage. In fact, he did something completely different, the Bible says, but he made himself nothing, absolutely nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So let's do it. I'll do it as tall as I can. That's about as tall as I can. God, servant. One more time. Just for effect. God, servant. And here's the truth. The truth is, is that the humility of Jesus and the price that he paid for that humility will always be greater than the price you and me pay for humility. Always be greater. He went from God to servant. So it doesn't really matter what role you play. Are you a parent? You go from parent to servant, it's nowhere near like going from God to servant. Your CEO, big stuff, yeah. You go from CEO to servant, it's not God to servant. There is never a place in our lives where the price that we pay for humility will match up to the price that Jesus paid for his humility. Never. Never. So if you're a parent, be a parent that serves. If you're a CEO, be a CEO who serves. If you're a boss, be the boss that serves. If you're a student, serve. If you're a teenager, serve. I know that's hard. But that price that we pay, it doesn't measure up to the price of our Jesus. You see, Jesus chose the servant's role. And I love this because even in doing so, it didn't empty him of his powerful other roles. He was still God, even though he took the very nature of a servant. And in fact, he went from God to Savior because he took the role of the servant. He took the humble road. And as a result, it didn't make him less God. It made him more Savior. You see it? And the same is true with you. When you take the path of humility, you don't become less in the roles that you're playing. You become more. You become better. You become expanded and more useful as you choose humility in every role that you play. In fact, studies prove psychologically that there are many benefits of humility. In fact, I was reading many studies this week with multiple, multiple examples. But here's just a few. If you are, you want to know a few of the psychological benefits of humility. The first one is this, that there's a soothing in the soul. Because what happens when you choose humility is you no longer have to fight and compete and deal with the stress of trying to make your own way. There's a sense of humility that comes. And as a result, you can have some peace in your life. You can have a soothing in the soul. 
You want to be a leader, man, I'm telling you, humility increases your excellence as a leader. It really does. Because a leader who is humble listens and learns. And so that leader is going to be forever better because he listens and he learns. These are the kind of things that we all need in our lives. And yet, these are just the psychological benefits. Another one for you to consider is the greater self-control. In fact, you'll be more self-controlled if you choose humility. And I'll tell you why. Because all of a sudden, you're at that place where you can simply say, listen, I'm okay for it not to be about me. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have greater self-control. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be rash. I'm not going to be harsh. I'm not going to be tempted toward control. And so it really helps. Finally, I'll give you one more example, and then we're going to move on. Actually, if you're working in a workplace, you're actually a better employee if you're humble. In fact, what we've discovered throughout all these studies that I was reading these, these last weeks is that humble employees actually get the advancement. Humble employees are the first to be promoted because they've learned something. They've learned how to be part of the workplace and not playing for what's on the back of the jersey, but what's on front of the jersey. And so there is a beautiful just reality about humility. It's, it's a blessing. But when you choose humility, what I'm saying is you're going to be better at the roles that you play. I had, I had a coffee with a friend this week, and he was telling me about his life. And, and you know, he's biz, busy and successful. And his, um, his wife just went back to work. They have three kids. The youngest is three, so they're in preschool and, and uh, daycare and, and, and uh, elementary programs and so on and so forth. And, and he works shift work. And so when his wife went back to work, now they're kind of trading off in a different way. For eight years, she was at home with the kids. She's gone back to work full time. And so his, when he's on shift, she works a, a shorter day. But when he's off, she works these incredibly long days from like eight to six, you know, and they balance out their schedules. And he says, During those times, I've learned so much about being, he said these words, and I was like, can I, can I, uh, can I use that in my sermon this week? He said, I've just learned so much about being humble and being a servant of my family. And and he said, you know, it's been incredibly humbling to kind of have to figure out how to, to look after the kids for an extended period of time in a different way than I used to do. And he was talking all about how he was learning things, and and it was challenging him. And I said, man, but the payoff is massive. The reward is huge. Your kids are going to see you in such a different way. Your kids are going to have a relationship with you because of that time invested that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. And, and you know what he said? Like, I'm able to see what my wife has done over the last many years and, and, and appreciate that. And we have more to talk about. And, and we're more engaged as parents. I said, absolutely. The payoff is huge. You don't become less of a dad because you're playing this extended role because you chose humility. You become more. You're better at the roles that you have. And that's why humility is such a great choice. You see, God never leads us somewhere that's going to damage us. We may not want to go there, but when we get there, we realize the benefit. We realize the reward. When you choose humility, you'll be better at the other roles that you have. That's a really important thought for you today. And then let's move on in the scripture. He made it, you know, very nature God, very nature a servant, became in human likeness like a man. The next verse says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So in other words, he's already done this great dissension from here to here. He's descended from heaven to earth, but now he descends further. And that, that descent is into the very 
depths of his own death on a cross. That's what the Bible says. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which of course is humiliating, hanging naked on a tree, being killed like a criminal. There was something so humiliating about what Jesus endured. But here's what I want you to discover. Jesus could have saved himself, and he didn't have to be humble. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels and they would have come and tore him off the cross and decimated man and done whatever else they wanted to do and swept him off into heaven. He could have been saved from death, absolutely. But because he became so humble that he was obedient to death, he not only saves himself, but he saves you. He saves you. He was so humble, so humiliated, that it saved you. That's powerful. See, humility was a key. It was a key to his victory. It's a key to yours. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute. Think about this. Now, as a Christian, when you die, you do not die. You simply go and be with the one who died for you. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's transformative. It's, it's so, so good. But here's the important thought. Jesus' humiliation didn't just lead to your salvation. It led to his exaltation. In fact, the, first, the next verse says this. With, read it with me. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is where everybody gives their hallelujah here below, right? Hallelujah. Because this verse is so powerful, Paul's preaching a masterful sermon as he comes to the end of that ancient hymn that they would sing. And he's saying, Jesus is Lord over everything. Jesus is the one that causes every knee to bow, every tongue to confess. Some are doing it now. Some will do it by force later. But the truth is, is every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because he has been exalted to the highest place and that humiliation brought him to that exaltation. It's really powerful. Paul's trying to help you see the benefit of humility. See what it meant for Jesus. See what it means to you. It's his key to victory. It's your key in your victory. And because of all this, verse 12 says, it says, therefore, which means because of everything you've just read. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is a verse that's been misinterpreted before. It's a verse that's been used to shame people for not getting their salvation right. But you have to understand, this verse is connected to the next verse. What this verse is actually saying, and we'll get to the next verse in just a minute. Don't rush me. But this verse that we just read is basically saying, take the humility of Christ to heart. Take your salvation to heart. Think about it. Be sober-minded. Be appreciative. Take it seriously. Because Christ did something amazing for you there. But that's not where it ends. I mean, this next verse we're going to read, and we're, we're, we're going to get there in just a minute, really starts to cause us to have to, to we find an answer to where we were. You see, the, in verse 5, it said that you and me 
we've got to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Does anybody in the house feel like me that that is impossible? <laughs> Just me. Okay, good. Well, help me then, right? Because I, I feel that that's probably impossible. My attitude is not Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I haven't got there yet, and maybe you're not there yet either. It feels like it would be an impossibility, but there's good news for you that it's really not for you. In fact, verse 12, we just read, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and people would say, shame on you for not getting it right, but that's because they didn't read the next verse, because the next verse actually says it this way, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. Did you catch that? Let me just spell it out for you. It's God working in you. It's not you working. It's God working in you that allows you to be, take on the full spectrum of God's humility, to take on the attitude of Christ Jesus. It's God working in you that allows you to will and to act. What does that mean? Your will is your desires and your act, acting is your ability. And so he gives you the desire and the ability to work it out, to be humble, to have the attitude of Christ, to, to embody all that we've been reading and studying. Is anybody thankful for that today, that it's not up to you to get it right? It's up to God, and he got it right. He got it right. And that's encouraging for us today. You know, if you humbly allow him to, he will give you the will and the ability He'll, he'll help you with the desire and the ability. And, and so the results come. And the results are, are what happens to you next. Because the next verse is, it seems like a, a list of do's and don'ts. It seems like a list of requirements. But when you understand it's God working in you, then you can see it here. As God works in you, then you get to, and here's what the next verse says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That, if you can come to that place, God's working in you, friends. It's pretty natural. It's very easy to grumble and to argue. It's very easy to complain. But when God begins to work in you and humility takes root in you, you're done with that. All of a sudden you realize that God's will and God's ability to act is in you. And you don't have to do that. And then you read the next verse and you don't feel condemned. You feel excited because as you read the next section, it says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And when you read that, you say, oh, no, I've got it wrong. No, no, no. God's got it and he's going to help you live it. Humility leads to unity. And you can do this. You can do this because he's able. So all of a sudden, you get to be what you wanted to be all along. And it's through God. It's through his help. There's an undeniable brilliance. Your heart is pure. Your testimony is clear. Your voice is heard. Your light shines because the verse goes on and says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. We'll get to that in just a minute. But let's face it. Let's just face it. It takes humility to bow before God. It really does. But once you begin to bow before God, you'll find it so much easier to have humility around people. If you haven't actually come to that place where you relinquish control and submit yourself to God, humble yourself before God, then it's really hard for you to humble yourself before people. But I want you to see that humility before God leads to humility with people. So start there. Start with God. Because there's something amazing about the love of God flowing through you humbly. It's beautiful. 
It's transformative. So if you're a believer in the house, and I'm, I'm wrapping up now. If you're a believer in the house, I want you to, to see this last phrase. This last phrase in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, which is the, the, where we're ending. Because it says this. It says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Friends, there is a glorious shining that our world needs to see through the body of Christ being humbly submitted to Jesus. When we begin to choose humility and embody that with God and with others, it's a beautiful, brilliant picture of what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Paul said, if you want to make my joy complete, move to unity. Do it through humility. And so here's our job. Because the result is we shine like stars. And that seems like others focused. But Paul gives us this other picture. It's also not just about shining like a star. It's about you holding firmly to Jesus. The Bible says the word of life. That's Jesus, friends. And when you choose humility, your grip on Jesus is firmer. If you haven't wrestled through to humility, then what ends up happening is you have a weak grasp on all that Jesus is. So the benefits are yours, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, choose humility because you're gonna shine and you're gonna have firm grip on Jesus. And that seems like a good thing to me. If you're here today and you're far from God, listen, the opposite of humility is pride. And pride says, I've got this. I'll sort it out. I'm good. I don't need that. But listen, there's only one solution for the soul that's far from God. And that's to humbly receive Jesus. You know, when we think about pride, we have to think about this. Pride says, I want to win. But humility says, I want others to win. And that's what Jesus did for you. In fact, he was so concerned about you that he chose humility that led him all the way to death. And he did that so that he could rescue you. And so what's going to be your response to that? You can say, thanks, I'm good. That sounds a lot like pride to me. Or you could understand, you could remember that humility leads to unity with Jesus. And you could humbly, like the verse said, bow your knee to Jesus. You could humbly confess Jesus as Lord. And in that comes life to the fullest and life eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's so rich. It is so good. It is so challenging. There's parts of it when we read it. It is like a double-edged sword. It cuts, challenges, and transforms us. And so today, Lord, we want to be people who choose humility, God. Help us to see where it brings us and help us to see where it needs to take root in our, in our individual relationships, in our corporate context as a church, and, and, and specifically in our relationship to Jesus. Lord, I pray for the believers in the house, for those who are followers of Jesus, that they would grab hold firmly of who you are through humility and that they would shine shine with a brilliance like the stars that simply cannot be denied, that the light of the glory of God would shine through us, your people. I pray for that one today. The one who's here today and feels so far away from you. 
Oh God, I pray that you would give them the gift of humility that allows them to make you Lord today, to bow their will to yours. Please, Jesus, be gracious to us. Thank you that when we call on you, we will be saved. So we call upon the name of Jesus today. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, listen, our our response is always worship. And so I want to invite you to stand and let's thank Jesus for his word. Let's thank God for his direction in our lives. Let's humbly lift our hearts and our hallelujah here below to him today.